And for all you visitors, welcome. Got to say hi to some of you, but some I missed. <laughs> but welcome, and we're glad to have you here. Glad to share this time with you guys. Um, this morning, I'll mention that uh, that first song we sang Uh, talks about facing difficult times in our life. You know, we know that we all go through them, difficult times, times that seem hard. Sometimes we question, God, what are you doing? Some of those can be pretty heavy times or serious, and it may feel even worse when the time, you know, outside of church is a time of celebration, and everybody's celebrating the holidays, so it kind of makes our sorrows or our difficulties seem even worse because the atmosphere is celebratory. And we may even start having thoughts come into our minds that question God, and does he really care about me? Or is he mad at me for some reason? And we look at everyone else celebrating, and I'm, I'm kind of buried in sorrow, and you're thinking, well, why am I having to deal with this matter? You know, it really wasn't my fault. Why am I having to face this at this time especially? And then we know we also know that it's easy for someone else that doesn't have any problems going on to say, hey, cheer up, it's Christmas. God is good. But in these four weeks, I'd like us to look at a bigger and more accurate picture of reality that can really help us through times like these. Times of sorrow, times of loss, times of hurt. Not that we're all going through that, but if we are, I'd like us to look at a more realistic picture. Because, you know, I have seen, I have surmised, as we see people today turning away from God... I have surmised that they don't have a complete enough picture of who God is and what he does. And so maybe just because they've picked up memes about God, you know, three or four words that describe God, they really don't understand the way he works, not having been in the word, you know, very much. But it's a picture that we want to have is who is more accurate or what is more accurate of a view of God. And I think we need it, need it more today because of all the people turning away from God, becoming disappointing with him, disappointed, and walking away from the faith because of their expectations of him that aren't real. And, you know, God does wonderful things and there's other times that you know, we, we face trials. But as a start, <clears throat> personally, I'm amazed how after being involved in religious education personally for 17 years, from kindergarten through college, I'm amazed at how clueless I was about God and the way he works. So in these next four weeks leading up to the birth of Christ or the celebration, I want to go through sort of a crash course on the workings of God 
as he unfolds his plan of salvation for anyone who will turn to him. And the better we know how God works, the better off we will be in times of difficulty. So I'll start off with, I think we've all heard about Adam and Eve. And I know you have because even I heard of Adam and Eve in my sorry education of scripture. God gave them the most beautiful, bountiful, luscious environment to live and enjoy and to rule over. We know that. The Garden of Eden, Adam was put there to work the garden. It contained everything that they needed. God was completely sufficient in giving them what they needed, of course. There were no shortages of anything. You know, we, we sometimes run into shortages and Many people across the earth do. There were no storms to wipe out any crops. There were no pests or wild animals. <clears throat> there, were, there was a river that branched off into four streams that went through the Holy Land. You know, and so everything was well watered. It was beautiful. There were all kinds of animals that God created and, and Adam named to add to their enjoyment. And God, the best thing is every day he communed with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, it said. And they would talk and they would walk together. But then we know that God told Adam and Eve they could eat from all of the bountiful, beautiful trees of the garden except one. The one in the middle of the garden, of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The only one in the whole beautiful, bountiful, luscious garden, he said, but if you eat of that tree, you will die. And we know that Satan came in to mess up God's plan. And it's telling how Satan did this. When he approached Adam and Eve, Satan said, did God really say you can't eat from any tree of the garden? Now, we know that's just an absolute falsehood, right? I mean, we know that, and Adam and Eve knew that. I'm sure Satan knew that. But what Satan did was he came in with this whole negative thought. He put a negative thought into their mind. And he framed the whole situation that was so gracious and positive, and he puts a whole negative cover on it. And their minds all of a sudden go to, you know, not allowed to eat. Satan comes in, so you're not allowed to eat from any tree? Now, if someone who wasn't evil would have come in and saw the Garden of Eden and where they lived, any normal person, <clears throat> excuse me, they would have said, wow, look at this garden. You guys get to live here? Uh, is, do you, is it all yours? And Adam would have said, <clears throat> uh, yeah, we can eat from any tree except this, that one in the middle. And they look around and they say, wow, who needs that one tree? I mean, you've got everything here. 
But that isn't the way Satan came in, was it? Satan comes into Adam and Eve, and he presents a whole negative light to it. He says, you mean you can't eat from any tree in this garden? And so he's kind of putting God, in, as a, he's painting a picture of God that's stingy and restrictive. And he changes the whole scenario from loving, giving, plentiful, beautiful, by putting a black cloud over the whole thing. And it's just, you know, Satan's words, but it, it's coming into them. And instead of focusing on all of the generosity and abundance of this beautifully amazing scenario, Satan is framing the conversation with Adam and Eve, and they're sitting there listening to him as he's saying this. Because we know that they followed his directions. And so they're listening and they're taking it in, and Satan's trying to move them mentally to where he wants them. And you know, we, we know all that happens. We're familiar with what happens. Adam and Eve fall for Satan's scheme, and the whole human race is plunged into sin. The whole universe is infected by sin. And death becomes a major, a major component in God's creation. Evil is now this horribly contagious disease it affects everyone and brings destruction and decay. So the next time God comes to the garden, Adam and Eve hide from him, don't they? They're ashamed. They've never had to hide before. He calls for them, and Adam says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And God says, well, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? And we know how that plays out with the man blaming the woman, the woman blaming the serpent, and God letting them know what will now happen since they disobeyed him and they unleash sin and death into his creation. And we know God clothes them with animal skins. That was the connection between Death and sin, you know, death, well, sin causes death. And so God had to kill an animal to um, clothe his people. And so now everything at that moment has drastically, completely, absolutely changed, you know, from light to so much darkness coming in. Evil is unleashed. Sin becomes rampant. Death becomes a permanent fixture in God's creation. And just think of that. God is just totally life, and now death has come into his creation. And then God kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden. <clears throat> now, why did God kick Adam and Eve out of the garden? Couldn't they have just continued to work it and eat from it? And even though, you know, the changes that came in. <clears throat> well, this point right here, God kicking Adam and Eve out of the garden, brings us to our main point for this Christmas series, these four weeks. And I want you to look at Genesis chapter 3 and verses 21 through 24. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, 
The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the problem is that they would live forever in the state. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden to stop them from eating from the tree of life and remaining in the sinful state that they had entered into. They would be corrupt. You can just deduce from that. He had to stop them from becoming corrupt for all eternity. Eternal damnation. And he not only sent them away, he placed this powerful heavenly creature or creatures as guards to keep them from being able to even go down that pathway to that tree. This kicking them out of the garden was an act of mercy from God toward his children who had disobeyed him. To kick them out of the garden was their only hope of eternal life. And here's the deal. Adam and Eve are now traveling now the human pathway to death, just like we all do. They brought it in. Satan, you know, tricked them. And now the pathway to eternal life is through physical death. And if Adam and Eve would have eaten from the tree of life, that's the, the tree they, they guarded from, they would have not died and would have not been able to be redeemed through death. And now this is their only pathway to eternal life. They must experience physical death as they are trusting in God to save them in order to gain eternal life. And it's always faith in God and his ways that lead to eternal life, isn't it? It is Christ's sacrifice on the cross that took place in God's perfect timing that paid the price for all sins. Christ's death on the cross paid the price for all sins. But each person must place their faith in God's way of salvation in order to receive the forgiveness that Christ has bought. And for anyone today that is turning to the faith to the sacrifice of Christ, whose death can cover every sin that has ever been committed, and anyone who will turn to him and take advantage of that, Christ's death pays their way to eternal life. That was an act of mercy when God kicked them out of the garden. And that is why... Jesus is our true comfort and joy. And that is what makes Christmas so amazingly special. It is God making true on his promise of a savior, mankind's only hope of eternal life. And in this we truly rejoice. And anyone who turns away from God or Christianity because they think something is unfair, that's what's happening today. So many 
are thinking that God is unfair because of something that's happened to them or something they see happening to others, and they're thinking that God is unfair. But look what had to happen in the garden. They had to kick them out of the garden, and they had to go through death in order to be saved forever. See, that's just the accurate picture of God. But if you're, if you're sitting here and you're just thinking from a human standpoint of how I would do it or what I think is right, you're not going to understand that. You have to trust in the scriptures. And when you do, when you start learning the scriptures and the Holy Spirit educates us in the scriptures, then we start understanding what truth is. And people today, <clears throat> they pick up memes, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season. Nothing wrong with that, but if that's as far as your, your knowledge of God goes, I mean, you could be in trouble. So it's in the word of God that we see that he is totally loving and he made a way for us even though we were plunged into sin and we turned away from him. And if Adam and Eve hadn't done it, we would have done it. No one would have passed the test. And so we thank God for the flaming sword, don't we? The flaming sword kept them from going and becoming eternally lost. And that's how it works a lot of times with God. You know, he does things that don't look pleasant. He does things that don't seem right at the moment. He does things that sometimes seem unfair. But it's God's way of bringing us to redemption and bringing us to a life that pleases him and helps us and makes us you know, happy inside, joyful. And so, in some instances, it takes getting kicked out of the garden and a flaming sword to bring us to everlasting joy. And that's who God, that's what God is all about, and that's who he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have planned for us comfort and joy. And we know that sometimes the road to that comfort and joy can be painful and sorrowful, parts of it. And so, Lord, we put our trust in you for you to uh, carry out your plan. And we want to be just submissive to your plan and to your word. And even though the things that we can't understand, the things that look so awful, we must keep our faith in you because you, you, are, you, wise, you, you are wise, you know everything from beginning to end and beyond. And we were just here to listen to you, to turn to you, and to ask for your mercy. We thank you for all that you do for us and how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.